So again, uh, welcome. Welcome to this uh, day of exploring, becoming more familiar with, and more able to use as a tool the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Uh, my name is Donald Rothberg, again, one of the uh, teachers uh, here at Spirit Rock. And uh, I, I'll introduce myself briefly. I uh, very much uh, have been interested in traditional practice and probably, I think, practiced for over 35 years um, since I was pretty young. And it's been an important part of my life and have done a lot of retreats and really explored very traditional teachings from the Theravada tradition, teachings of the Buddha, also from uh, Zen some, and especially a Tibetan tradition as well. And I've also had quite a bit of exposure to um, Christian contemplation, um, lived for a, a, a number of years in Kentucky, went out to the Abbey of Gethsemane, where Thomas Merton was a monk, also once lived in a neo-Hasidic Jewish commune, <laughs> and have also been very influenced by indigenous traditions. Uh, so um, varied influences, but really these practices of mindfulness have been right at, right at the center. And also quite interested in the ways that mindfulness is being understood in a contemporary way, have been uh, involved a lot with the intersection of uh, mindfulness and other forms of practice with psychology. One of the main areas that I teach and write on is on the theme of transforming the judgmental mind. And then thirdly, I've had a lot of background in connecting these inner practices with social service and social change. So quite broad interest. And in some of how I present the fourth foundation, I'll be doing some uh, cultural translation, really pointing to the ways that this might work in our lives, in the contemporary culture, which I think all of us do to a certain extent here at Spirit Rock. I think it's quite important, that kind of translation work. So again, want to recognize um, many uh, friends and uh, familiar faces, and also uh, a number of people whom I don't believe I have met before. So uh, many of you are here for the fourth time in the series on the four foundations of mindfulness. How many of how many of you is that true? That's great. And so one of the uh, one of the aspects of this series that that I love is really that chance for continuity, chance for the development of a certain sense of uh, community, and to really uh, work with a particular framework over a number of months. And then how many of you are here uh, for the first time in this series? Yeah, and I'll, tr- I'll make it accessible by reviewing the first three foundations. And I think it really, this uh, session can stand on its own. And how, ma- how many of you have gone to another one of the series, but not all three of them. So it's quite quite a number. And I, in a sense, uh, I was the one who organized this series. I taught the first one. Remember that? That was in the ancient past, remember? <laughs> that was mindfulness of the body, remember that? <laughs> and then we've had uh, Sharda Rogel teach on the second foundation on 
that sense of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And Temple Smith was teaching on the work with, we sometimes would say, thoughts and emotions, the third foundation of, of mindfulness. Great. So welcome. Everyone should have uh, a few handouts. Uh, I have the actual text and then an overview that uh, Sally Armstrong did, which gives the overview of the, whole, of the entire four foundations. So I'm going to say a few words, really in a way of introducing the four foundations, in part by review of the first three, in part by talking about what's distinctive about the fourth foundation. In the first three foundations of mindfulness, we especially looked at what we might call the constituents of experience. We looked at a bodily experience. We looked at the thoughts and emotions that arise in experience, the different kinds of what we call mental and emotional states. And we also looked at this quality of feeling tone, all in the interest of developing mindfulness. So uh, helpful to review what the understanding of mindfulness is, that it's this uh, really somewhat, uh, somewhat detailed process of being attentive, of looking at experience in a way that is, cultivates a sense of presence, that is open, that is non-judgmental, that tends to be non-interpretive, tends to connect with direct experience. The word in the original language is sati. And sati actually has connotations in the original language of memory. And so there can be a sense of that we are uh, remembering, partly remembering to be present, but there's also a sense that we know something and can actually remember what we experience. The primary meaning of mindfulness in our context is more that sense of presence. And there's, there's in mindfulness, there's both, we might say, an active sense of mindfulness, which might be to say, look here, look there, attend to the breath, look at feeling tone, look at pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, really track thoughts. There's an active sense of mindfulness. There's also a more receptive sense, which is more connected with a, a sense of presence. Uh, Gil Fronsdell, who's a colleague here at Spirit Rock, he said that we could use the metaphor of canoeing. And later I'll bring in other metaphors from canoeing and kayaking to help to understand these teachings. He said that there's, there's a way when we're canoeing that we are just paddling. It's active. We're kind of looking, we're getting somewhere, we're being active. There's also a sense of floating, where we're just resting in the water. And mindfulness has both that active and that more receptive dimension. Sometimes we are really wanting to be active. Look here. What's happening? What's going on? And that's really crucial. And some of it is also just the quality of resting in the present moment and being present to what's there there has to be a receptive aspect as well. If it's too active, we will not really be able to uh, be so fully with what's happening. And we may be a little bit more influenced by our own interest and inclination. So 
it's helpful to think of those of those two act those two aspects of mindfulness. So mindfulness is present centered, it's non-reactive. It's not we're able to be with what's there even if it's unpleasant. We with mindfulness don't grab at the pleasant and we don't push away or have a lot of aversion towards the unpleasant. Sometimes I wish that the translators had developed a new word. I find mindfulness a little bit clumsy in English. It's an old Victorian word. You can find mindful, you can find the word mindful in the King James Bible of 1642. <laughs> and many of our translations of the Buddhist texts were made in the early part of the 20th century or even a little earlier. And I think of people choosing the word mindful being good Victorian English parents who are saying, Charles, please be mindful of your peas and eat them properly. <laughs> you know? And so and it's a little bit confusing because it emphasizes the word mind. And sati really is, I would say, it's about mind, body, uh, emotion, fullness. It's about fullness to all of our experience. So I don't know that we'll get a better translation. Some people prefer awareness to mindfulness because it doesn't focus so much on the mind. But just to be aware of that, that it really is a kind of presence or awareness of whatever is occurring in experience. Okay. Now let me say a little bit about the first three foundations just to bring us up to uh, the fourth foundation. And we, we did uh, explore in the meditation some ways of practicing with those first three foundations. And I think I'll also invite us, we'll have a walking meditation period in a little while, and I'll invite us to uh, uh, work with those first three foundations. So the first foundation is that of mindfulness of the body. And again, I think all of the recordings from the first session are there on the Dharma Seed website. So you can go back and review that, or if you weren't here, you can get a more detailed treatment of mindfulness of the body. And again, for people who are new, what we've been using, uh, to some extent, as a guide, a very uh, state-of-the-art book on mindfulness uh, by a German monk scholar practitioner named Analayo. And his book is called Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization. And many of you have read this. Actually, it's, if you did the whole series, it was a gift <laughs> to you. And so how many have been looking at that book uh, a fair amount? Yeah. So it's a very helpful reference and probably goes into more detail than you might even want on the four foundations. It has, you know, over 300 pages on the four, on a, basically like a 10-page text. <laughs> okay, but very, very helpful. And for many of us, very, very illuminating. So the first foundation, mindfulness of the body, is uh, familiar to us because in the instructions that most of us have received in mindfulness, the basic instructions start with mindfulness of the body. We start with mindfulness of breathing. Then we develop mindfulness of different sensations of the body. Might be sensations in the 
sens- sensations in our own body, or we could also work with the uh, sense of smell, of taste, of, of sight. And the actual text goes a little bit further, and we explored some of these that first session, that it can be mindfulness of the body understood as the four elements of uh, earth and air and fire and water. Very, very traditional, ancient uh, way of understanding the body and seeing our connection, really, with the rest of, uh, the rest of creation. And so we learn how to be present with the body. We learn how to stabilize the mind with the breath, develop mindfulness, and bring that into all the different manifestations of body. The second foundation is this focus on what we call feeling tone, Vedana in the original text. And this is the emphasis on looking at pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And there are a number of ways to practice it. I gave two of them in the guided meditation. One of them is particularly to look out for when pleasant or unpleasant is quite strong. And here again, we're invited to notice what's going on, to really stay with the experience of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, much like we stayed with the sensations of body. We're invited to watch how pleasant arises, how it, um, how it passes away, and this continual process. So we already have some emphasis on watching how things are impermanent, how they flow, the arising and passing. So in the second foundation, though, we're particularly wanting to see where we have a strong sense of pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And the reason for that is that when we are not so mindful or aware, when we don't have the wisdom dimension strong, the pleasant quality of any experience will tend to lead to grasping. A pleasant taste. I like this taste in my food. Oh, I want more. Or uh, a pleasant, uh, pleasant sight. I want to take a picture and keep it. <laughs> or whatever. There can be a sense of, of grasping. And there can be similarly with unpleasant experiences. There can be a sense of pushing away or aversion. That can get us caught in negative cycles. And so the teaching here, and it's quite, it's quite interesting that the Buddha chose to give an entire foundation to tracking pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. You could imagine a lot of different possible foundations of mindfulness, but here it's particularly important because without mindfulness, the experience of the pleasant can lead to that sense of unconscious or compulsive grasping. And without uh, awareness, the sense of the unpleasant can lead to unconscious or compulsing, compulsive pushing away. I think we know that very well with uh, pleasant physical sensations or unpleasant physical sensations. We're sitting, we have unpleasant sensations, and we simply react. I don't want that. The body contracts. Or we have um, interpersonally, we can see very easily, someone says something, I don't like that, I react very quickly. Or someone says something very nice and I, I react in another way. And so again, the whole aim of mindfulness is to move from reaction to response, is one way we could say it. 
through being aware of the dynamics. The third foundation of mindfulness helps us to have a little better sense of the process of the arising and passing of thoughts and emotions. And in the text, there's a particular focus on different kinds of thoughts and emotions, of when the mind has greed, hatred, or delusion present, when the mind is concentrated or not concentrated. I think more generally, the third foundation helps us really to see more clearly this particular mind state is present, this particular emotion is present, and helps us really to track that. For many of us, this means to have a set of uh, basic uh, categories, like of emotions or of the most prominent visitors, the most the thoughts that are the most prominent visitors, the top five or the top ten thoughts, the top five or top ten uh, patterns of thinking. And we increasingly know these. We can see them when they occur. We can see them arise and pass away. We can see how we get involved with them, think that, oh, this is a really important thought, or they trigger certain other thoughts. And so, in a way, these first uh, three foundations of mindfulness give us a sense of the main constituents of experience, what's really happening, and give us a way to work with them, to see how they arise, to really notice more clearly that they, that they are present. There's some attention to noticing arising and passing of these, which means that we're tuning into impermanence. But it's really in the fourth foundation that we move from seeing the constituents of experience to seeing larger patterns of experience and being able to respond to them. That's really a key aspect of the fourth foundation. If the first three are primarily becoming more familiar with the main constituents of experience, the fourth is about seeing those constituents in some of their larger patterns. Seeing them in those larger patterns brings in especially two aspects that are not as present in the first three foundations. And those are the aspects of wisdom, of seeing the patterns, seeing the patterns of arising, seeing really seeing experience through different uh, through different uh, frameworks and categories so we can see more clearly. And in the fourth foundation, as you know if you've read the text or have seen the outline, we look at experience through five basic frameworks that were uh, frameworks uh, taught by the Buddha. We start with the attention to the so-called hindrances or difficult energies, that which makes it hard to be mindful. You can listen for this, you can hear a progression. We, we then go to looking at more closely at experience through the model of the aggregates or skandhas, which is a way of seeing experience in terms of its flow of basic, um, basic uh, aspects. And we particularly see that flow without bringing in a sense of self. So it's like we're just with the flow of experience. The third framework is that of seeing experience through the different uh, senses and seeing particularly using the sense of the, the eye, the five familiar senses that we have, um, sight, sound, um, 
touch, taste, and smell. And then we also add the sense of the mind for the uh, ability to be aware and think and have emotions and so forth, which in Buddhist frameworks is understood as a sixth sense. And so in the, in the, in that attention to the flow of experience and the processes of how the senses work, we're really looking more carefully at experience. And this helps us to see more, more clearly and to open up more. And then in the, uh, the fourth and fifth frameworks, bring us towards freedom. In other words, we start by looking at experience in a way that helps us to be here better, that works through the obstacles to mindfulness. Then we look carefully at experience and particularly seeing where we get stuck, where we, where we have uh, knots or stuckness in our experience. And then with the fourth and fifth, we open up to actually towards freedom. The fourth framework is that of the seven factors of awakening or the uh, sense of what qualities of mind need to be developed to help us see clearly, to help us act skillfully and so forth. And then the fifth framework is out of the Four Noble Truths, which brings us towards both uh, recognizing where there is suffering or fixation and then moving to freedom. So that sounds like a lot, right? It is a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. That <laughs> sounds like a lot. What, I, what I'll hope to do today is to uh, make this accessible and, they, and really bring it to uh, see that this is, there's a, it's actually fairly simple when we hang out with it for a while. And, that, um, and that's my hope. I've structured the day into four segments. A first segment uh, that we're in. <laughs> then uh, about a half hour period of walking meditation. And then we'll have a second segment and then lunch. And then a third segment, uh, walking meditation, and a fourth segment. And what I've chosen to do is to primarily focus in this first segment on introducing the fourth foundation and reviewing the first three foundations and giving us a, a starting point. And then we'll be practicing in the walking meditation, some of, particularly some of the uh, first uh, three foundations. Then in the second segment, I want to focus just primarily on one of those five frameworks. I want to focus on the framework of the hindrances as something to look, as something to work with, with a little bit of attention uh, right before lunch uh, to uh, the practice with the five, with the six senses, which I think is important to do right before lunch. <laughs> then we'll have lunch, keep on practicing, and then we'll come back. And in the third segment, I'll focus particularly on the model of the aggregates, or really, how do, we, how do we work with mindfulness to see more carefully the flow of experience? And to uh, give a number of ways that we can practice. And we'll, we'll do both uh, t- uh, practicing with some guidance, and then we'll also talk together about what we've experienced, and I'll give you know, a general guidance in the talk. And then the Last segment, I'll particularly work with the Four Noble Truths, which is basically, again, it's a um, basic model, very uh, direct model. It's really about using that framework in order to see when is there suffering 
in the present moment in experience. It's having our radar up for any moment of suffering and then bringing this teaching in. How can I work skillfully with what's come up? How can I essentially see suffering and release it and come to greater freedom in the moment? That'll be our emphasis in the last segment of the day. So stick around if you're interested in freedom. <laughs> if you're primarily interested in suffering, well, that'll be a little more, no, just joking. <laughs> okay. But we're all, actually, we're all interested in both, right? <laughs> we have to really, really have to work with both. But you, do you see the trajectory of these five, uh, five frameworks that are looked at in the four foundations. It's starting with what makes mindfulness hard. Then, when we've worked with that some, it's looking carefully at experience. And then the last part is moving towards freedom, developing the factors of awakening. So it's quite an interesting model. It's moving from from where we're stuck to increasing freedom and giving us guidance for that. This is what uh, this is from uh, the text from Analaya about that sequence. Based on a sufficient degree of mental stability through overcoming the hindrances, contemplation of dhammas, that's the fourth foundation, proceeds to an analysis of subjective personality in terms of the five aggregates. That's what I was talking about, being with the flow of experience and to an analysis of the relation between subjective personality and the outer world in terms of the six sense spheres. These two analyses form a convenient basis for developing the awakening factors, whose successful establishment constitutes a necessary condition, condition for awakening. To awaken is to fully understand the four noble truths as they really are, this being the final exercise among the contemplation of dhammas and the successful culmination of satipatthana, or mindfulness practice. So it's that's that movement uh, through that. But on the basis of the first three foundations, we've hung out enough with the basic stuff of experience so that we can, uh, we can track experience, we can notice thoughts, and we can uh, work with all the aspects of thought. So we bring in through the attention to frameworks the wisdom factor, seeing more in a larger context. And we also bring in the quality of responsiveness, which is really key. In the first three foundations, and maybe in much of our mindfulness practice, we basically hang out with and explore the sensations in the body. You know? And we are with body sensations. We notice thoughts. We notice emotions. And the first three foundations, the emphasis is especially on learning to be present, know that they're happening, be with these phenomena. The fourth foundation brings in the dimension of skillful action, of skillful response. In other words, I'm finding myself um, stuck with attachment to these uh, sense experiences, or I'm really reactive to what's happening in my body. How do I work with that? The first three foundations, we don't get so much guidance about actually what to do. It's more about just be present, be with this, know what's happening, study it. In the fourth foundation, we get guidance on how to be skillful with experience, on how to work with whatever's coming in a way in which we respond, in which we do things, in which we even bring in 
the dimension of reflection. The fourth foundation brings in thinking and reflection, which isn't there much in the first three foundations. So it's quite interesting. Here we're bringing in a lot more of our human capacities in order to respond skillfully to whatever's happening. So the fourth foundation would include being there and saying, Donald, you you seem like you're stuck, right? Yes. What should I do? I don't know. What should I do? Okay, what's happening? I don't like those thoughts. What should I do? Oh, well, just be, first, let's just be mindful of them, know what kind of thoughts they are. Then, oh, what's happening? I'm reactive to the thoughts. Can you just be present with them, notice them? Notice what's happening. Okay. Can you just let them be? No, they're taking me away. They're too strong. I'm catastrophizing. Getting in negative thought patterns. What should I do? Okay, well, let's use an antidote. Let's think of, uh, let's go to loving-kindness practice, okay? So this is real-life situations. How many of us have sometimes been taken away by runaway thought patterns? (laughs) (laughs) And we need to know what to do, right? We need to know how to respond. So... Uh, th- this this is what is brought in by the fourth foundation, and you'll you'll hear, and probably those of you who've read the text will recognize that what what this starts to do is it starts to bring in the other dimensions of the path. We might say, many of you know that the, one of the teachings is the eightfold path, and it has a number of different factors. Mindfulness is one factor, and to to a large extent when we are using the first three foundations, we don't have so clear how mindfulness connects to those other uh, uh, path factors. But here, we start connecting it to wisdom, to the wisdom factors, to right understanding, which is the first of the path factors, to skillful intention, or wise or right intention. And we also start connecting it to what could be called uh, right effort, which is a very key aspect of responsiveness. So, and right effort is, you'll, you'll see, when, or you, you have seen when you read the text, that a lot of what's talked about in terms of how we should respond is unpacked in terms of a model called the four wise efforts. How many are familiar with this teaching? Okay. It's uh, taught some, but not a huge amount. Uh, it's actually one of the crucial teachings. When you look to the various lists that the Buddha developed, wise effort is close to the top in terms of frequency that it appears elsewhere. And for the, the four kinds of wise effort are often expressed in a little bit of an awkward English, but I want to try to make them clearer. The way it's typically expressed, and you'll see this in the text, is that one wants to... Uh, basically avoid the arising of unwholesome states. And then that that's the first. And the second is one wants to uh, see that arisen, unwholesome states pass away. The third is that one wants to have the arising of wholesome states, and then one wants to maintain those. Now, that can be very confusing, and I admit that once I was on a retreat and I 
for a whole day was kind of an ecstasy. I was just in this ecstatic state, which sometimes occurs in meditation on retreats, where I was just in this very beautiful ecstatic state. You know, I was in love with everything. And then I went to the evening talk on the four wise efforts. And I, immediately, I was hearing about the unarising, the arising of unarisen unwholesome factors, and it was going through with that. And I immediately stopped being ecstatic and, and crashed to the ground. <laughs> and, but it can be really unpacked in a different way. And one of my students, who's a kayaker, expressed these four wise efforts in a very simple way. She said, oh, it's just like the four basic rules of kayaking. First, stay out of trouble. Okay, that's the, we don't, we don't want the arising of unarisen, unwholesome states. That's stay out of trouble. Okay, in other words, don't do things which activate states of mind that aren't so good for you, right? Uh, sometimes we say, don't go there. Right, in ordinary English. The second is, uh, in kayak language, is know how to uh, deal with trouble if you get in trouble. Right? Know what to do when you get in trouble. This is what happens when you have negative states arise, like my being caught in that thought pattern. Know what to do. Have a set of skillful responses when negative states take over. That's the second. So first is stay out of trouble. Second is know what to do if you get in trouble. The third is develop good habits. And the fourth is keep practicing them. That's it. The kayak explanation of four wise efforts. So I hope that's, so it's kind of common sense, right? It's kind of, and you'll, and so if you need to translate when you read the text and you see, because it's, it's really expressed quite often in the text, that's really, you'll see that framework throughout the text. Okay. So let me say one more word about, um, in general, about the, about the text. Um, and then we'll, uh, I'll take some questions if there are some, and then we'll work, then we'll move to our walking meditation. The term that is there uh, for the fourth foundation is mindfulness of dhammas. And you've seen that if you've, if you've looked at the text. It's translated in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's translated as mindfulness of phenomena. Sometimes it's translated as mindfulness of mind objects. You know, there are a lot of different uh, translations. Sometimes mindfulness of mental objects or mental qualities. I think they're somewhat confusing. I like to think of it as mindfulness of these uh, patterns of experience as seen through certain frameworks. So we're really looking to patterns of experience, larger patterns of experience, and then how to respond skillfully. That's what the fourth foundation is about. Okay? And what we'll be doing is learning a number of different ways to practice. Now, one of the interesting things about the fourth foundation is it's not taught very much. And those of you who've been on retreats probably haven't heard an explicit teaching of the four foundations. Has anyone, has anyone heard the four foundations taught on retreat? So a little bit, yeah. Um, I know about, probably about 12 or 13 years ago, I was doing a, a longer retreat, and I had never practiced the fourth foundation, and I wanted to practice. And I, um, 
and I was, my teacher at that time was uh, Gil Fronsdale, and I talked with him. He said, you know, uh, I'm not sure how we practice. No one ever told me how to practice the fourth foundation. You know, let's just make it up. Let's just see what to do. Not so much make it up in terms totally, but let's just, you know, what I found the essence of it was, was using these frameworks and seeing where we get stuck. And then learning how to be skillful with when we get stuck or fixated or caught. That's what I found was the essence of this, if I had to express it really, really simply. And using these different frameworks and having our radar up for where we get stuck. And it can bring a lot of illumination. That, that's what I found to be the essence of it. And again, what we'll do is we will work with, um, we'll touch on all five of the frameworks, but I want to emphasize for reasons of time, three of them, and give some guidance on how to uh, practice in a very, in a focused way with this. And my hope is, I think this is the hope of the entire series, we hope not to make it too complicated. And I realize I've given you a lot of terms and frameworks and so forth, so we'll, I'll try to keep it's simple, and this I think will be, that'll be the most material you get at one time. <laughs> okay? We'll try to unpack it and make it simple. What our hope is with this entire series is that we hope to give some energy and some uh, skillful means for everyone's practice. Sometimes mindfulness practice can be, can take us to a generally calm and pleasant state where I'm kind of relaxed but I'm not so clear, and I don't necessarily have so much insight. Does anyone relate to that? It's quite common, I think, that we learn how to calm the body, calm the mind, and what these, what the attention to these four foundations brings in is, I think, a strengthening of the factor of inquiry. Of an, more, It can energize us by having us say, let me look there for this sitting. Let me really track where pleasant or unpleasant gets really strong and see what my reactions are. Let me really notice more carefully the flow of thoughts and emotions. Let me really notice what's going on. Let me really track when um, suffering arises in the mind and, and what happened. Let me have my radar up for that so I see it clearly and then can respond skillfully. And so I think this really can help us, and this is really, I think, our motivation to deepen our practice, give us more tools, and actually point towards a certain excitement from inquiring. This is really about studying our experience in more depth. And I think we probably could add some other frameworks. Some, you know, when I think generally about this fourth foundation and looking at patterns, part of the cultural translation that I do is that we also, it also, I think, could include seeing our personal patterns. Where do I get stuck personally? Not entirely in terms of the models that are given, but also saying what triggers me? What sort of stimuli trigger me? When do I become judgmental? When do I become judgmental towards self or others? What are the patterns? Because part of our practice is seeing these patterns and really knowing uh, not just these more universal patterns, but also our more personal patterns. And so for me, this is actually, I mean, I'll bring that in from time to time. This is part of how I do 
kind of a, a cultural translation, that I look also at the larger patterns of my personal experience, my particular, basically my, the particular ways that I get stuck. And the encouragement is to become experts on the patterns of your own stuckness and suffering. Connoisseurs of that. And then also experts on what frees you. And there's this, there, I think there's always this dual emphasis in our practice. We want to study where we get stuck or lost, but we also want to open up to how do I uh, find freedom? How do the awakened qualities develop more strongly? And, there, and you can see how this fourth foundation has both. We're both looking at where there's suffering, where there's stuckness, and also where there's freedom. And I think this, this is really what a mature practice will have uh, considerable detail in both. How we see where we're lost, stuck, confused, reactive, and really studying that. And then, how do I open to the beautiful states? Okay. Let me leave a little bit of time now if there are any questions about anything I've said, and we can use the, we can use the uh, microphone. Why don't we also say our names as we, as we speak? Thank you. Hi. Hi, Donald. Emily here. Thank you. In the last just little mini paragraph that you were just speaking, I I got a little question. Um, It seemed, I thought I heard you contrasting what you had said up until that point, which I was totally like getting. And then you said, but also personal yeah. But phenomenologically, I don't get how any hitherto forementioned yeah. incoming would be anything but personal. So I was just, is there something more that you could please illuminate? Maybe it's a refinement of what I said earlier, is that I think there, there can be a value in really knowing uh, what are the patterns of my mind. Uh, and... I think it could really, it, in some ways, it can fit into what I've said earlier, you know, and to really see the, the um, you know, when aversion is taking place, when compulsive aversion is taking place. But I was maybe unpacking a little bit more than would be unpacked simply by looking at the hindrances and saying that it can be very helpful to know this is the sort of situation where I become reactive, you know, and this is where I go. This is, this is where my mind state goes. Yeah, thanks. Hi, Donald. My name is Greg. Hi. Um, This question speaks to my lack of familiarity with the Fourth Foundation. Yeah. But I'm curious if you could kind of explain how the idea of, you know, dealing with... um, your experience, your negative experience, and kind of trying to move away from that resolves with the idea of non-clinging and non-avoidance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, the idea actually is, is that one has to really, in, in some sense, uh, go into the difficult experience or the unpleasant experience and learn how to be present with that, learn how to be with difficult body sensations and to 
be with the unpleasant and notice one's reactive patterns. And it's really more a matter of emphasis because in a sense we learn how to do that and in, in using skillful means, let's say with an unpleasant uh, body sensation that we know is not harming us. You know, if I just I have some unpleasant sensations in my back and I'm just with it for 10 minutes and my mind is saying, I don't want this, right? that we hang out with that we learn how to be present with it. We notice the tendencies to want to get away from it. And that, I think, is then uh, complemented also, uh, not so much by getting away from those experiences, but by developing, uh, in terms of the factors of awakening, developing factors like inquiry, like mindfulness, like concentration, and so forth. So am I, am I getting your question right? Is that different than just mindfulness? Uh, Being aware of your experience, or the solutions, or whatever. Yeah, basically, um, the when I was emphasizing these two aspects, it's partly partly we want to um, we want to look at experience, and there there really are these twin lenses or twin questions we ask. One of them. When I look at experience, where do I get stuck? What is not helpful? What is unskillful, to use that language? Where do I get stuck? And then we also ask, what actually helps me to be more open, to be more present, to be more responsive, to be more free? And we're, we're always looking at experience and trying to notice those two kinds of patterns. Um, does that get at it some? Okay. Hi, Donald. My Hi. name is Larry. Hi. And uh, you're talking about the reactive mind arising. And in mine, when my mind becomes reactive, there doesn't seem to be any room for that other level of consciousness to notice that and say, oh, my mind is reactive. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm hopeful that today you'll be able to show us some way to to do that in a very short period of time, it's like the next day I can see it, or maybe mm-hmm. an hour later I can see mm-hmm. it, but not right now. Well, let, let me ask a question. Um, can you notice uh, minor reactivity? Like, can you notice when you're maybe impatient because the driver in front of you has a cell phone? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So one of, one of the, as it were, learning principles here is that we practice where it's less difficult and then we gradually bring that learning to the most difficult, for the places where we're most stuck. Yeah, part of the definition of most stuck is that it's unworkable. I think that's what you're saying, right? But we actually, uh, uh, maybe two things. First, we can can work with reactivity where it's less uh, difficult on a scale of 10 where it's lower down on the scale of 10, you're presumably talking about level 10 or 9 or 10 or something. Not necessarily that much, but mm-hmm. something up beyond, something, oh, this guy's in my way. Yeah, you know. but something that, that's hard to, hard to track. So there, there are two ways we can respond to that. One is that we train uh, and we watch reactivity where we're not as stuck. 
And, and that we can do a lot. You know, we, in other words, we look to minor irritations. Because interestingly, the principles are going to be the same. And the way things work are actually the same. And the second way we can work with that is we just, at some point, even with those difficult ones, we do notice. You know, maybe like when we're doing a meditation and something really bothered us that happened yesterday, let's say, and I just, I start in, out, in, out, and I'm with the breath for a minute. And then um, 20 minutes later, I realize I was 20 minutes kind of just brooding over that troubling incident, let's say. But at that 20-minute point, I remember, and I do notice. So there's something that, that happens there. In the midst of the 20 minutes, I'm just in it, right? And that's, I think, what you're talking about. But at the end of the 20 minutes, I notice it. And if I actually say something like, give it a name, that's actually part of the learning process. You know? And so it doesn't matter if it's 20 minutes or two days. You know, My gosh, I was in a funk for the last two days. <laughs> Right? That's helpful because we're naming it and that, and we kind of, and we, especially if we can name our most challenging mental, emotional, bodily experiences, that helps us sort of put, put those on the radar. Yeah. Maybe uh, one more and then we'll go to walking meditation. Um, Madison, you had your hand up, I saw, so we'll do two more. Yeah. Okay. Um, and say your name? Shia. Yeah. Um, you know, in the text on all the four foundations, yeah. it it always emphasizes to be aware with within the within the I can't remember. Uh, be aware of the body within the body, yeah. or be aware of the feeling tone within the feeling tone. Yeah. And so, when we talk about these aversions, I mean, I can under I can relate to that to some degree, but. You know, like when you're lost in whatever you're lost in for however you're lost in it, then you notice that you are lost in it. And all of a sudden you're out of it. Or it's, and I'm not quite sure how to relate to being aware within, you know, with being aware of the aversion within the aversion when you're lost in it. Yeah, I don't know uh, if that makes any sense. No, I think I understand. Uh, how, if one's lost, can one be found? <laughs> so to speak. Um, well, I, th- I think the answer is partly like the answer, was it to Larry? It, it's that there are degrees of this. You know, and there's total lostness. But most of, you know, as we, as we practice more, uh, sometimes we, you know, as the mindfulness gets stronger, we can actually uh, be in it. We can be in something that's taken us away that we're reactive, and really, uh, you know, and really uh, hang out with it. Basically, you know, like an example, like I can be, I can have unpleasant body sensations, and I'm really, I find myself really reactive. I don't like it, and I can hang out with that a little bit. And I can also watch how does my mind just say, how much longer for this sitting? This is so stupid. I could have, I could have gone out to Point Reyes today, and I'm here, I'm just, you know. And, and just, we can watch that mind, and watch how the body is reacting, and hang out there. So that's, 
it's, it's basically that, yeah, sometimes we're totally lost, but as we practice more, even, the, you know, basically what happens is those lost places start um, kind of having holes in them. The, the solidity of the lostness dissipates, if, if I can use that metaphor. And we actually then can start hanging out with places that previously we were just lost. Like, like that example, where, you know, we can, we can really uh, say, oh, I'm really being judgmental towards myself. Okay, what's it feel like? You know, and I can actually hang out there, and that would be more like the experience of being in the, in the body, or in the, actually in the emotions, you know. So, so it's basically, yeah, there are places where we're totally lost. And as we do the mindfulness, those places tend to come into awareness more. It's gradual, you know, and we can, uh, we, again, we can practice with the uh, lesser degrees of difficulty. And we can also just, as we approach something, even that's difficult, it, it, it starts to, the uh, awareness starts to get stronger. Okay, so last question. Uh, pass for now? Okay, great. So that'll be all. We'll have a lot of time for talking because it's one of the ways I, I like the actually having discussion and question my favorite aspect of teaching. So hope to have a fair amount of that. I want to give some guidance now for the walking meditation. How many of you have uh, are rusty or have not done walking meditation? Anyone? Okay. So well, I'll say a few brief words and then give guidance for working with. Uh, one or more of the first three foundations. This will sort of give us, um, bring us uh, to the point where we can start working more explicitly with the fourth foundation when we come back from mindfulness, from the uh, walking. So uh, the walking meditation is uh, a complement to the sitting meditation as as it's evolved in uh, practices that we do here, in contemporary practices in uh, Asia. And it really is a way of being with the body and coming back to the body, especially when the mind wanders. It's analogous to the attention to the breath in some way. And maybe I'll just, for people who haven't done it, and why don't we all do this? Why don't we stand up and I'll do a very brief guidance for the walking. Be aware first of the sensations of the contact with the feet. Feet with the floor. You might also want to be aware of the legs. And coming back to the sensations on the bottom of the feet, slowly shift your weight to the right foot. So it's now 70%, 80%, 90, 100. Let the left foot come off the ground. We'll do some walking in place. Come back down and shift your weight now to the left foot, 70, 80, 90, 100. Let the right foot come off the ground, receive the attention. Come back down, 
Tension's on the right foot. Weight shifts. 60, 70, 80, 90. Left foot comes off the ground, receives the attention, comes back down. Weight shifts. You do this at your own pace for about another minute. And so the walking meditation is being aware, one way, is of the sensation on the bottom of the feet moving from one foot to another. This is also where, for some of you, it can be helpful to have the area of awareness be a little larger. It can be the entire leg shifting from one leg to another. For some of you who are more experienced, you can also sometimes just be aware of the whole body. If you're new or if the mind is a little bit uh, distracted, you can use very, very quiet mental labels, lifting, moving, placing with each step. So as we continue standing, let's come back to just the standing posture. And so if you're you're quite new to walking meditation, I recommend that you just work with those instructions for this period, and which is a, a version of the first foundation of mindfulness. It's being with body sensations. If you have more experience, then I'll recommend that you do that, but also bring in aspects of the second and third foundation. I'll I'll do it in, I'll invite it in this way. Just notice as you're walking when thoughts or emotions take you away from being with the body and just track those and then come back to the awareness of the walking. And also, if, if you notice something that's very pleasant or very unpleasant, maybe just stop and study that. (laughs) You know, you're walking and then you say, oh, look at the way the sun is, so nice. And just, and it feels very pleasant. And just hang out there, see, study what pleasant feels like in the moment. And it may just last for 30 seconds. Or unpleasant, if something unpleasant occurs. You have an unpleasant thought or there's a difficult emotion just to stay with that. And if any of this feels like too many instructions, just stay with the mindfulness of the body. Okay, just come back to that. So, again, for those who are new, the walking meditation is done, uh, can be done in a few different ways. One way that we often recommend is to walk back and forth on a path that will help with the settling of the mind, helps with concentration rather than just wandering around. Walk back and forth could be uh, 20 yards, 30 yards, something like that. Walk back and forth, find a place, walk back and forth. You know, if someone else starts to get in your path, notice thought, unpleasant, just study that. (laughs) Okay. 